This is On Call with Dr. Dave. Our guest for this episode is Dr. Faran, and he is an ophthalmologist. We go into most of the cases centered around eye surgery. Mm -hmm. And so I thought it'd be just kind of interesting to tell people before you listen to it, a little bit about the eye surgeries that he talks about. So what he talks about a lot is something called a cataract. A cataract is something inside the eye. You all have a lens inside the eye that focuses and lets light go through. And when that gets a little cloudy or hazy or changes with age, usually, then we call that a cataract. And then it makes it so light can't travel through. So imagine if you get into your car and the windshield's a little chipped up or a little damaged. Sometimes it can look like that. He mentions a white cataract, which is almost like if you get in a car and the windows have iced over and you can't see anything outside the car. Light comes in, so there's kind of a glow but there's really no details at all. You really can't see anything other than maybe just light. So when he mentions that this patient has a white cataract, that patient's not able to see details or shapes or anything. At best, lights on, lights off, which is pretty hard to imagine living with that poor vision. And this person or these patients, they didn't start out with their eyesight like that. It develops over time. So it's like a gradual Yeah. Lot, like loss of vision. Right? Gradual loss of vision. And it, it depends on how quick or slow it is. And both of these patients that he shares, there was uh, some cognitive delays that made it a little harder to know when this uh, when these cataracts formed. But uh, interesting thing to know before you jump into the story, I don't think you need to know much more than that, but just really is great talking to him. You could tell how much compassion he has for his patients, the time he spends caring about them, the effort he puts into each surgery. Uh, I think that really comes across when you're talking to him. He, he relays some really special stories. And if you have got a person in your life or have a soft spot for people with disabilities, this is the podcast for you today. This was so sweet to hear him talk about these special patients of his and how he and his uh, team took special care of them. And we loved hearing about it. Yep. And then hang on for the very end. He does share a humorous story at the end. Um, it's right toward the end. So if you want to hear the humorous uh, portion, that's uh, that's near the end of this episode. But it's all worth listening to. I think he had some great things to say. And you, like I said, you can really feel how much he cares. And he's a very compassionate doctor. We're grateful he spent some time with us. Yep. Enjoy. This is On Call with Dr. Dave. Tonight, I'm talking with Dr. Farhan. And Dr. Farhan, thank you for coming on. We really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's, it's great to be here. And I'd love to share, you know, some of the experiences I've had in medicine over the last few years. And, uh, and I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. So like, why don't we just jump in? I didn't ask you to prepare any special stories. I never do. I just want to know what stories are meaningful to you, whether they're humorous, interesting, sad, just those stories that you've thought back over the last uh, years in medicine, what's, what's come to mind for you? Yeah. So, you know, I think it's interesting, you know, uh, the world we kind of live in these days, uh, as you know, I'm in private practice. Uh, I actually came from doing academics for several years where I had the opportunity to do a lot of teaching and encountered a lot of pathology. And, and that was very rewarding. But recently in private practice, you know, it's a little bit more driven by uh, cash pay procedures, as, as you will, you know, such as LASIK and premium cataract surgery. 
<clears throat> where you're not only, I guess, expected to help, you know, uh, fix someone's vision, but the stakes are so much higher where someone may be expecting perfect vision afterwards. You know, we're talking better than 2020. And a lot of this comes in mm -hmm. because they're having to pay out of pocket for, you know, say premium lenses or laser eye surgery or, or things like that. And, you know, it's, it's become somewhat frustrating because you may do this perfect surgery. You may take your time doing it and, and say that person may be one line away from perfect and very dissatisfied because of it. And, and it's frustrating because you feel like you've done everything you could. And, and it's not say, you know, your fault or even the patient's fault, but, you know, perhaps, you know, they may have, you know, a dry eye condition. They may have, you know, measurements that uh, were very difficult to obtain. And we're using formulas at the end of the day and doing calculations. And we know they're not always going to be perfect. And we always set those expectations ahead of time, you know, before we ever operate to say, look, you know, uh, Mrs. Smith, we understand that you're coming in with cataracts. We're here to do cataract surgery. Our, our primary goal is to remove your cataract, not to get rid of your glasses or your contact lenses. You know, let's not forget about that. But yet somehow, you know, that first day after the surgery, it's all about, well, my neighbor, you know, never has to wear their glasses anymore. And how come I'm not saying perfect? You no, know, I just, I just woke up and I thought, you know, everything would be crystal clear and it's not. How come despite all of the education you provided, all the resources you've dived into, the consents, you know, that you've obtained. So, you know, sometimes I don't always look forward to uh, some of those patients and expectations and, and surgeries. And so there's a couple of cases that really stand out in my mind that, uh, you know, I thought of immediately when you invited me to this podcast. And, and one of them was actually very recently that we almost did about six weeks ago. I was referred a patient from one of my retina colleagues for a cataract, which is something, you know, that's bread and butter to me as an ophthalmologist. I see that all the time. But, you know, when this patient arrived, we found out that they were nonverbal, that they really couldn't communicate. There were some physical limitations with them being able to move around, even walk down the hallway and get into an exam chair uh, because they had a history of cerebral palsy. It was fairly advanced. So we had an individual that I was told that had cataracts, but I was unable to communicate with or even examine. We wanted to dilate their eyes because that's how we diagnose cataracts. That dilation drops tend to burn and sting sometimes. So we did do that, but it made this individual very frustrated and almost combative. And, you know, that mm -hmm. uh, basically caused some kicking and screaming, which we're not used to in our little quiet eye. So it was an interesting and unusual, you know, uh, introduction um, to this patient and individual. And even though I couldn't properly examine the eye, it was fairly obvious when the eye did dilate that there was not just a cataract, but a mature white cataract that you could not see anything inside of the eye, none of the structures. And uh, what was interesting is that this individual was very young, you know, um, had just turned 40. And both eyes were like that, where they, you know, both had these white cataracts. And you could tell that this person, you know, was not able to get around, that they had physical limitations already, but now they were also having to feel for things to kind of know their surroundings. And that was not only making their life difficult, but obviously the parents and the caretakers were struggling. You know, I mean, here's someone that may not be able to see their food or, or see anything. Yeah. And um, I knew that it was going to be a very 
challenging surgery. I mean, you have a white cataract as opposed to the, the usual cataracts that we get that are pretty soft and easy that we can do relatively efficiently. This case I knew could take several minutes to do and require special equipment. And normally when we do cataract surgery, we don't need to put anyone to sleep. You know, we are able to numb the eye and give them some relaxing medicine and, and we could be done within a few minutes. But here, you know, we would require sedation and a, and a lot of extra measures. And uh, it, I knew it would be a challenging case and I just didn't know what to expect. No one had ever documented what the rest of the eye was like. We didn't know what the prognosis mm -hmm. was like. And uh, we knew it could be risky, you know. In technical terms, the lens could have been loose inside the eye. There was a high risk that the lens might have fallen in the eye. Uh, this individual was seen, you know, rubbing their eyes frequently. So we just didn't know, you know, how well they would see. Now, whenever we do cataract surgery, we have to do measurements. These measurements involve the length and the curvature of the eye. So we can determine what power lens to put inside of someone's eye, because that determines how well they can see, you know, and see without glasses. In this individual, there was no chance we would have of being able to get those measurements. So it was going to be purely guesswork to say, what is the average lens power for an individual? Let's go with that. But you know, the problem is, you know, the average just doesn't work for everyone. You know, it's like a shoe size. Like you might say, oh, you know, you're five foot six, so maybe you wear a size nine shoe, but that may or may not be true. And here we are just purely guessing. But at the end of the day, we knew that, you know, even if the lens power was not completely accurate, that a clear lens would at, at least, you know, restore vision and, and enable someone to, to be able to see better. So uh, as challenging as it seemed, as daunting as it seemed uh, and intimidating for our staff who were still trying to calm this person down that they couldn't talk to, we said, you know what, let's just do this. We got permission from the parents. We talked about the risks and the benefits. We felt like the benefits did outweigh the risks. And we proceeded to, to go into the operating room. And as we predicted, it was a very challenging case, you know, probably took three times as long as our standard cataract surgery. But in the end, we had a safe and, uh, and very routine outcome where we removed this cataract completely and cleanly from the eye. We replaced it with an artificial lens and it was in perfect position. And at the same time, we invited our retina colleague to come in and, and also be able to do an examination under anesthesia because now the patient is calm, they're, they're not moving around, uh, and we're able to look inside the eye with lighting and just look at all the structures for the first time, perhaps in this individual's life. And, and it shows that the rest of the anatomy is okay. But, and, and then, you know, the other challenge with this is just as important as the surgery is the post-operative follow-up. We always see our patients the very next morning to make sure that there's no signs of infection or inflammation. We check the eye pressure to make sure it's not too high or too low. We wanna make sure we check our incisions, make sure they're not leaking or anything. And in this circumstance, we were not going to be able to do a post-operative exam. Um, wow. There was no way that this individual would let us near him or anything. And so, and, and even the surgery was complex. Uh, for example, starting an IV in this individual, not very easy. You know, that probably took 45 minutes. Yeah. And required two different anesthesia, anesthesia folks. And the, you know, the parents were just very uneasy because the patient had not eaten for several hours, you know, for preparation of the surgery. And it was just hard to just be able to, to, to do the surgery in the first place. So we decided, you know, the next day that we would just do like a phone call follow-up 
instead of having the parents bring the patient in only for us to just have a verbal conversation about how they're doing because there would be no exam. And so um, I'll never forget this. You know, I actually called the mother the next morning and um, I just can't describe to you how ecstatic she was, you know, just based on the way she answered the phone. Uh, she said, you know, I followed, you know, your advice and your instructions. Uh, we slept with a patch on the eye to make sure that he wouldn't rub the eye overnight. And as soon as we removed the patch, he was, it was just like he was born or something, just, you know, looking around the room for the first time looking at every little detail, going close up to things to be able to see and touch and hold them and smiling at the same time, um, that it's literally transformed this person's life, that now they can actually go up and down stairs by themselves that they had never been able to do for the last several years. And the parents, again, just felt so liberated as well because now this person that already required a lot of dependence um, was at least somewhat more independent. So we're not, having to, you know, do as much handholding, feeding um, and things like that. And uh, I mean, that just speaks volumes. And I'm still just in awe, you know, because it reminds me why I wanted to be in this profession. You know, it wasn't to try to get someone paying, you know, thousands of dollars, 2020 vision by doing laser surgery for a few minutes. It was to help, you know, people see better, to try to cure their blindness, if at all possible. And there's a lot of other conditions we see and treat, as you know, uh, like macular degeneration or glaucoma, where we can't cure those conditions and we don't have a way to reverse things. But thankfully, when someone like this has a, you know, just a very advanced cataract, that is something we can address and we can restore sight. And sometimes, you know, you get the same satisfaction of, uh, you know, like this, that I've gotten on mission trips to Mexico and other countries where once again, you have usually much, much older individuals that don't have access to healthcare that have mature cataracts and can't see. And now they're keeping their kids home from school to cook and clean because they can't do it. And when you do their surgery, you know, in these settings, again, it liberates them and therefore their children as well, because they don't have to have someone around the house doing everything because now they can do it. But this was a little bit different. And even though this person was 40 years old, because of the, the mental issues you know, it's almost like they were a child, you know, I mean, they, they would literally come in with toys to play with and pre-op and things like that, because that's just how they were. And then we did see this individual about a week later, because we felt like they were a little bit calmer. They'd kind of forgotten about this traumatic surgical prep and experience. And again, you know, compared to that first experience where it was almost impossible to, to view their eyes and they were very combative, it was all smiles. And it was just a, a lot of you know, friendliness. And, uh, and, and this individual actually brought a deck of cards that they like to hold and play with. And they were looking at the different pictures on the cards, for example, and, and holding the cards up to other, you know, staff members and things like that. And it was just, again, a, a complete, you know, 180 from how they presented. So it's truly very exciting for the parents, for our staff. And just, again, a big reminder about, you know, how, how powerful surgery can be for someone. And, uh, and again, just how it can, you know, change not just their life, but the, the lives of everyone around them. Yeah. That's, that's an amazing story. I just the, I can only imagine when you're already a little confused, maybe some, some mental issues where life's a little confusing and you can't see, you can't see somebody trying to be kind. You can't see the smile on their face. 
I could just imagine how scared he was that first time going in as people are trying to touch his eye, people trying to put in an IV and not understanding what's happening and not even be able to see it. And then to come and see you smiling at him, to understand your kindness and your heart and just everything. Like you said, just that life-changing moment. Not only can he go downstairs, but the world's a less scary place for him now. There's It's full of joy and happiness. And those are the, those are powerful moments. I remember a similar case when I was a resident where this guy had gotten white cataracts in both eyes and he didn't have good access to care. And his sister gave up her whole career and life to move in with him and to take care of him. And that one surgery gave her her life back, gave him his life back. And they were just ecstatic, just over the moon. Everything changed for him in that moment. And like you said, that's what reminds us why we got into medicine. It's not the paperwork. It's not the insurance. It's not the, you know, the staffing issues. <laughs> it's that moment where his life is better because of the skills that you were able to use to help him. Exactly. Yeah, from a family, yeah, from a family angle, I can just imagine like as a mom and it doesn't matter how old your kid is, that's your baby, you know, and to watch their life change so drastically because you can tell they're scared. You can tell, you can feed off of that energy from them and what a ripple effect of just amazing, just an incredible, amazing thing it was probably for that whole family. I mean, everything's changed from here on out. Every holiday, every birthday is just lighter. Exactly. You know, and uh, again, just, you know, that enthusiasm um, that the patient kind of brings in you know, it's just so contagious throughout our staff, you know, um, the front desk may be riled up because one patient's treating them badly over their copay or insurance and just <laughs> being really just, you know, uneasy to, or, you know, difficult to deal with. But then they see this individual and how, again, their, their life has been changed. And it kind of reminds you why we're actually here and just how much good there is. And, and again, you know, I think what's unique about this situation is you have a a person that actually cannot communicate or even maybe understand that they've lost their eyesight or vision. And they can't tell you that, you know, I can't see anymore. I have a cataract or, or what's going on, but they've just kind of slowly, but surely lost the, the world around them. And they've just accepted it. You know, whereas in older individuals, we see some of these really advanced cataracts as well. We're able to restore sight, but the difference is, you know, they come in, being able to communicate that to you, being much more cooperative and verbalize the understandings, the expectations here, you know, we certainly had none of that. So it, it just was even that much more rewarding, you know, to take on a challenging case and, uh, and have such a, a great outcome, you know, from it. That's amazing. You said you had a couple other stories for us as well. Yeah. So, you know, uh, something else that was similar that we came across a, a couple of years ago was actually a much younger individual, um, you know, late twenties, um, with actually down syndrome, um, same sort of situation, you know, gradually losing vision and, uh, the family recognizing that, you know, wait a minute, uh, they're just not as interactive anymore. They're not taking as much interest in games and things that they used to do. They're just not, um, as passionate about, uh, being as interactive mm -hmm. with others. Uh, what's the situation? And uh, they felt like maybe it was a change in glasses or something like that. 
but uh, we were able to do just a, a complete eye exam and find out that they had, again, advanced particular cataracts. In this case, a, per, a posterior subcapsular cataract that can be somewhat common in individuals that have Down syndrome. And so same type of situation, you know, uh, talk to the family, the <laughs> caregivers about, you know, expectations, risks and benefits and felt like we needed to, to go ahead and intervene and be able to remove the cataracts. And because, you know, there would be some difficulty in communication, we did do general anesthesia, which is again, pretty rare for what we do, but it just made the rest of the surgery easier. This person had a lot of astigmatism and we didn't know how comfortable they would be in getting into glasses, how they might, you know, verbalize their, their preference for glasses. So we were able to actually talk to a manufacturer that makes interocular lenses and get some lenses donated for them. There were special lenses that could correct astigmatism or toric lenses, which was great. The industry helping us out there, you know, if the family didn't have the finances to afford some of these premium lenses that some others may be able to, where we were able to almost gift this individual the best lenses we could, the best technology we could, because we felt like it would make that much more of a difference. And, uh, you know, same type of outcome where, you know, just post-operatively, just an immediate improvement in participation in, you know, mealtime and just being able to navigate and just the mood getting better. Uh, as you can imagine, when someone suffers through slow, but, you know, sure vision loss, there's an element of depression that can be involved and you can become more withdrawn. Um, and if you don't have that insight to know what the pathology may be like, you, you don't know why it's happening, but you just accept it for what it is, not realizing that there could be a way to reverse this or fix mm -hmm. this. And so when you're able to do that for someone, I think they're extremely grateful because it almost comes as a surprise. And, and for this younger individual, it meant, you know, getting back to school and activities as much as possible. And again, the parents almost immediately recognizing and a, a huge improvement in quality of life. And no, it doesn't mean that their vision was 2020, but it was significantly better than before. And that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's great you were able to go the extra mile and talk to the industry. I, I think sometimes because the medical industry in a lot of places is for profit, the people that make these lenses and the products, since it is for profit and they are trying to make money, sometimes they get a bad rap as not caring or the dollar is always the bottom line. And I know I feel that way about insurance companies sometimes, but I, I am truly amazed sometimes about the humans I get to connect with, even at an insurance company or in an industry when I need help with something and they're able to bend some rules or get me a product that costs too much for somebody. So even, you know, even they're the big bad boogeyman for us, you know, the medical industry or the insurance companies. But I just, I just love that you were one, you were able to go the extra mile and two, that this company just stepped up and said, yeah, you can have these lenses. So this guy or girl can have the best outcome possible. Exactly. I'm grateful for that. You know, um, we spend a lot of time with industry, as, as you know, almost partnering with them to deliver the technology that they bring to the table to certain individuals. Uh, sometimes it does come at a cost, but it's great when you, they can find a way to return the favor. You know, you can lean on them and say, you know, we have so much technology here. If we have an individual that could really benefit from it, but maybe not be able to afford it because of their unique situation, you know, they obviously don't have a job right now. 
can we still find a way to help them out? You know, since you're kind of behind this is what can we do? And, uh, and, and that partnership can go a long ways. So yeah. I'm, I'm excited about when we can partner together with industry leaders to find the best technology for suitable, you know, individuals or patients and, and, and kind of, you know, make it work together. Yeah, that's amazing. I remember one time in fellowship, we were going to take a mission trip to Haiti and some people that were just there selling some of the stuff that they sell to us found out we were going to Haiti and they just said, what do you need? And they gifted us medical equipment, surgical tools, suturing material. Wasn't even something that they we asked them to do, just found out that's something we were doing. And they just said, what do you need? And we'll get it for you. Nice. And uh, And that's, you know, what I think about at the end of the day, um, yes, this is somewhat about profitability and efficiency and, you know, uh, turnover times and things like that. But some of these cases just kind of bring you back down to earth and, and make you realize just how skilled we can, we are and how, you know, you can, again, just transform someone's not just vision, but life, uh, with, you know, with the right resources. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so again, awesome. I really like to, to mm-hmm. think about these stories and experiences when I just have a, a long day in clinic with demanding patients, you know, just because they're not, they're one line away from perfect and, and that's not acceptable to them. And maybe they never saw perfect to begin with, but you know, just because they had <laughs> surgery, you know, the expectation just kind of through the roof uh, because of that. Yeah. And so, you know, no matter what kind of goes on, uh, you know, with elective surgery or refractive surgery or cosmetic surgery, uh, it's nice to know that there's a lot of these other types of cases out there. And, and sometimes, you know, we, we actually do them for free or pro bono uh, because of unique situations, circumstances, lack of insurance, but it, it truly is priceless, you know? Yeah. Anytime I'm frustrated in clinic or with insurance company, this, this week in particular has been just difficult. I've had three or four surgeries denied by insurance because they just weren't approved. I've had patients that just weren't happy with what I consider good outcomes, but just weren't as perfect as they were hoping for or unrealistic expectations. So this week just overall has been just a difficult week in my day-to-day practice. And it's great to hear you tell these stories because it it reminded me of my own stories of gifting people vision or doing a surgery or spending those time that time with those patients that really needed it and so i'm grateful for all the people that sometimes maybe take a little extra care but they're the people that pay for some of those premium products they're the people that keep the lights on in my practice and so that I do have the time and skill as well as also it, it's not going to hurt my bottom line too much to do a pro bono surgery or to gift somebody something because, yes, I did do that cosmetic surgery the day before. And maybe that patient took a lot of my time. But because I did that cosmetic surgery, the person that has no insurance, I can say, you know, what, I'm fine not getting paid for this because I, I have enough coming in that I can pay my staff and we can pay our rent. And so it just comes hand in hand. There's the business side of medicine, but the business side allows us to be compassionate. If we didn't have the business side, we, we wouldn't have the facilities to even be able to help people. So, you know, as much as it drives me nuts sometimes to be in the business of medicine, it also lets me be compassionate as much as possible. Yeah, I right. think the general public would be surprised about how much pro bono actually happens and how much it's added up over, um, 
like over the course of the week because it's not always a big large surgery sometimes it's just a little bit here and there answering questions on the phone just lending a hand where needs be it it does add up yeah you see me at home at late at night answering emails and phone calls and getting back to people and sending something off to the insurance company or getting called in for somebody that doesn't have insurance but it's not even just that it's it's the time thinking about it like like I said, it's amazing that you took the extra time to get that special lens. You could have just said, you know what, I'm already being a good doctor, a good person by doing this surgery that I know is going to be difficult. And you could have just stopped right there. But you said, you know what, this person would benefit from getting this special lens. And I'm going to spend that time to help that person. So in that moment, you, you, you were already doing a great thing. And you took it that one step further. And I just don't know how much people realize how much doctors, how much we really do care. We, we want our patients right. to have the best outcome. No, I, it is not when people don't have the best outcome. Yeah. I agree. You know, so for both of these cases, you know, there's a lot more time behind the scenes than our average person because, you know, everything about it is more difficult. You have to plan the time more carefully. You have to plan for anesthesia. It's just a much longer case. You have to not do as much surgery as you would normally because these are tougher cases that require more time. You have to make not just one, but sometimes three or four phone calls and kind of go up the ladder uh, at the industry level to get that free lens because it's not just very easy to get and you have to you know, uh, talk to different individuals and supervisors to, to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And you have to you know get the right materials and all of that but you really believe in it. So you make that effort and you're exactly right. You know, the patients that come in that are unsatisfied or unhappy with some of their cosmetic outcomes do not realize that they assume that, you know, you're there just to charge as much as you can and work as quickly as you can. And then that's, that's all you do. And that's, uh, that's unfortunate because both of these cases that I have talked about tonight, we didn't market them. We, we know it internally, but nobody else really knows about it. It's not a big news story or anything. It doesn't have to be. But at the same time, a, a lot of the public don't realize that it's even happening. You know, they think you might be just a, a rich yeah. doctor or whatever, you know, <laughs> and you're just there for all the cosmetic things or the, the most profitable things. And that's certainly not true. And I think if I only did that or marketed myself towards just premium surgery for cataracts or just high volume LASIK, then I think I would burn out faster or be, you know, much more dissatisfied at the end of the day. I agree. I mean, it's just most of us got in the business of medicine, not for the business, but for the medicine to help, to cure, to, just to be there for people, to change their lives. And yeah, I, I agree. These The cases that sometimes keep me up at night or the moments where I know I'm going to be doing a four hour surgery that pays me like a 10th of what a quick 30 minute surgery would pay me. But those are the moments when I feel like I'm doing what I really was meant to do by helping people. It's those times and those moments where I really feel like a physician and that I'm curing and helping more so than the you know, the, the quick turnaround surgeries or the ones that are efficient or the ones that pay the bills. Those are the ones that just kind of get forgotten about because that's just kind of has to happen. But it's those moments that take the extra time, the extra effort that almost call on us to be more human, to, to kind of they call on our humanity. They ask us to step up and give a little bit more. 
it just it just makes it all worthwhile. I definitely agree. And then, you know, you're right. You do have to have a balance. You know, you can't only be doing charity work or only these complex cases because, you know, it would just consume you and, and you wouldn't have enough then to, to be able to get the right resources or get the operating room in the first place or have a relationship with industry to be in a position to get some lenses donated. So you have to, to have that balance to be able to achieve that. But I, I feel like as long as you're passionate about it, you remain excited about the surgery, you stay grounded about why you're doing it in the first place, you know, you can survive the high maintenance patients, the high expectations, um, and take it in stride. Yeah. And, and some of those high expectation patients are some of my favorite people too. They, they have some high expectations, but they're great people. I'm kind of looking at my wife, Ashley, right now. I remember trying to get her a perfect refraction one time and she was 2020, <laughs> but not happy. So <laughs> I kept trying to get her better and better vision. And no matter how many times I spun that dial, she still saw 2020, but just not quite as good as she wanted. So some of those difficult patients are the people I love the most. <laughs> so I know the, you know, the, the episode tonight, you asked about, you know, that we could share about anything. And then I think these are two really good cases with the same kind of message and um, just obviously like really good, happy endings. But I know you said that it could even be humorous. And, and there's one that I thought of that I'll also not forget that I wanted to share quickly. And this was, you know, back in my uh, earlier in my career, actually, maybe even about eight years ago. But we had this, you know, older patient that came into our office just for a routine eye exam. And so, you know, in our office, basically, the, the patients will get worked up by a technician, you know, that will probably check their vision, maybe their eye pressure, and put in drops or whatever is needed. And then, you know, once that task is completed, they may leave the room and put up a light or a flag or something that signifies that they're now ready for the doctor. And so, you know, uh, one day in one of my other offices, I saw that it was my turn to be able to go in to see an, an older individual. So I grabbed the chart and I walk in and uh, it was this lady who was sitting in the exam chair, but she had completely undressed and just had like a little sheet kind of like draped over. And so I was so <laughs> And just shocked and I turned red. I'm like, oh my gosh, like, you know, what is going Her on? Like eye exam? person like not <laughs> dressed, you know, like what in the world? So I go back outside, I talk to the technician, I'm like, uh, look, you know, the patient in there is not wearing clothes. What happened? You know, I mean, uh, and and they were confused because everything was fine when they had left. So I didn't know what to do. And uh I got you know, our administrator and I said, Look, uh, I think we just need to go in there together because something is not right. So we go in and <laughs> out that uh, the patient um, thought that they were there for an OBGYN appointment instead of for the <laughs> appointment, and they did have a history of dementia. Oh. And so somehow there was a, a lot that was lost in translation or communication. Oh. I'm not sure, but that's why they, they took off their clothes, didn't find a gown, and they put this blanket that I think we just had off in the corner and it was just the most bizarre thing that I think I could have ever imagined to, to walk <laughs> into because usually the doors are closed, you know, as people may be dilating inside, you open the door and you find someone like that and you're like, wait a minute, hold on a second, let's, you know, let's rewind a little bit. But that was oh, sort of man. a unique experience that thankfully has not uh, presented itself again. 
<laughs> yeah, there's, there's not a lot of nudity in the ophthalmology world, so uh, there really is not, yeah, you know, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that's that's hilarious. Oh, how embarrassed yeah. I would be! Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, to this so day, funny. I was just like bright red. I was like, oh my gosh, like what? <gasps> what in the world? <laughs> Enough <laughs> embarrassment for everyone. Oh, wow. You know, because you never ever see that in ophthalmology, obviously. You know. Um, but I guess if someone's confused enough, you never know. So that was uh, that was very interesting. And yeah. oh, love it's it. a day to remember that 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 wouldn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness, yeah. People and you, bless her heart. She's just trying to do the best she can. I had a patient one time. Luckily, I was in the room at the time, but I was working at the veterans hospital, and he came in. I called the name. Patient comes in the room. I start getting logged into the computer and I turn around, this guy has his belt off and he's about, he starts to pull down his pants. And I say, Mr. So-and-so, like, what are you doing? He's <laughs> like, well, you're, you're, I'm here to get my prostate checked, aren't I? <laughs> I said, no, this is, this is the eye clinic. So we shared a waiting room with the urology clinic. This oh. gentleman... <laughs> had just been waiting for somebody to call his name. It wasn't even close to his name. So the name of the patient wow. I called was nowhere <laughs> close, but he heard a name. He was sick of waiting. So he just went for it. <laughs> Initiative. So, wow. Yeah. That's the closest I got, but luckily we were able to abort before he got his pants <laughs> all the way off. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, funny. wow. Yeah. Well, that's a great place to finish. Thank you for spending your evening with us. I know your boys are there trying to get your attention as well. I know your time's valuable. So thank you so much for sharing. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. This was fun. And, um, you know, like I said, uh, these are things that uh, I will treasure forever that really uh, make me smile at the end of the day, no matter how long of a day it's been. And just make this feel, you know, so rewarding, you know, the years of schooling, the debt, the boards, just all of that. When you hear the excitement um, in someone's voice um, or just see that smile of someone that, you know, you haven't been able to communicate with, that just speaks volumes. And, and that's what it's all about. It does. Thank you for what you do. Hi, this is Dr. Dave. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. Please rate, review, and share this episode so that we can continue to get you more stories in the future.